Hi church, Pastor John here. Hope you had a great Christmas Eve. What a wonderful time we had being together. Hey, today, this weekend, I'm really excited. Our campus pastors are all gonna be teaching. I was thinking about something. We are all really into the Broncos right now. And most of the time we're thinking about Peyton Manning and how he's gonna do. He's a great quarterback, no doubt about it, but he's surrounded by a great team. And without a great team, you do not win anything including a Super Bowl, which we're going to win this year. Yeah. So I want you to welcome my team this weekend, your campus pastor. Give it up for these guys. They're going to do a great job. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you guys had a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to each and every one of you. Uh, we're going to jump into the message here really quickly. But before we do that, just one real quick announcement. Um, this is the last weekend of 2014, and I know that's hard to believe. It's definitely hard to believe after 52 weekends, this is the last one. Um, and so I want to remind everybody this, that if you uh, have any giving that you want to be uh, accredited to 2014 for tax purposes, you do need to make sure that you get it into our hands by 11.59 p.m. on December 31st. I know that we've said this a few times, um, but there are a lot of people who want to do year-end giving, and we do have people, you may think we're crazy, but we do have people that call us up on January 1st, uh, early in in the morning and say, hey, if I cut you a check today, could you get that on my 2014 giving? And we have to tell everybody, no, I'm so sorry. We can't do that. Legally, we are obligated to make sure that we remind everybody that and that you know that. You can bring that to any of our facilities. You can do it this weekend. You can go to jfc.org and click on give there, and you can do that all the way up until 1159. Uh, it just needs to be in our hands. Anything after 1159 p.m. on the 31st does need to go to 2015. So just to keep that in front of you guys, keep that as a reminder, because we are running out of time quickly. So, um, hey, it is crazy that we're about to get into the new year. We are finishing out this series, the Simple Series. It's been an incredible series leading up into Christmas. We did want to extend it one weekend after Christmas, and there's an important reason for that. Before we jump into that, I wanted to just pray and set a foundation for the message. So would you guys just pray with me? Father, we love you, and we are so thankful for your blessings. Father, uh, just even as we've been able to go through Christmas and just to, to remind ourselves of the blessings that are found in Jesus and the life that's found only in you, Lord God. We are just so abundantly aware of what you've given us, God. God, we give you this time. We give you the next uh, 30 minutes and just open our hearts and our minds to you for you to speak. Lord, I give you my words and everything that you want to do. Father, may you have your way, not mine. And Father, uh, may you just work directly in us with your Holy Spirit. We invite you into this place. And we pray these things in your precious and your holy name. All God's people said. Amen. Well, it is the last message of the Simple Series, and this is, a, this is one that we titled Simple Celebration. You know, we were talking about simple, the fact that we are uh, currently, you know, really in the midst of a very complex season, uh, and that complex season is compounded by the fact that we live in a very complex world. You know, there's a lot of things that go on in our lives, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of busyness. There's a lot of hustle and bustle. You know, all of us are constantly on the move, constantly working, constantly, you know, doing this and doing that and finding very little time to just sit back and to do much of anything that we really want to do, uh, especially celebrate. And we thought, you know what, what a great opportunity for us to take a moment in time, the last weekend of the year, and just to celebrate. Celebrate God's faithfulness. Celebrate God's blessing. Celebrate everything that He's done in our lives. And so that's what we're going to do this weekend. But in order to do that, I think we need to set the tone and have a little bit of understanding, get a little bit of a history lesson this morning um, as to the understanding of why it's important to celebrate. And so to understand that, I want to take you guys back in time. I'm going to take you guys way back in time. And I'm going to take you guys all the way back to the time of the Israelites um, and tell you a little bit of a story. I'm just going to kind of paint a picture, a very broad stroke picture. You guys have probably heard this story, most of you, if you've been in church at any point in time, if you've read your Bible uh, or whatnot, or maybe even if you haven't been in church much, you've probably heard about a guy named Moses, right? 
Moses is a famous guy in the Bible. He was a guy called by God to lead the Israelites, who are God's chosen people, out of slavery and bondage um, in, in Egypt. So just a, a real quick synopsis. God has his chosen people. They're the Jews. They're the people that are called the Israelites. There's 12 tribes of them that make up this grouping of people, and they are enslaved by Pharaoh and his people in Egypt. And so while they're under bondage, they're working and they're laboring and they're toiling and and they're constantly uh, battling against the Egyptians, trying to gain their freedom, trying to get free from the bondage of slavery. And Moses is this great liberator that God has called out into his people and said, you know what, I'm going to use you to be able to bring my people out of slavery. And you, if you've been in church and you were raised in church, you probably heard the song, Moses, you know, we sang the song from Moses' perspective of him constantly knocking on the door of Pharaoh and being, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, oh, let my people go, right? So you guys have probably heard that. Well, that's kind of Moses' mantra. Hey, Moses, or Mo, I'm sorry, Moses, hey, Pharaoh, why don't you let my people go? These are God's chosen people. You need to let them out of bondage, of slavery. Well, long story short, eventually God's chosen people, the Israelites, are released from their captivity, from the bondage in Egypt, and they go on what's called the Exodus, the exiting of Egypt, looking for the promised land. And so when we get to the book of Exodus, we get to the place where we see them leaving their bondage, their slavery, and Moses leading this grouping of God's people, trying to find the land that God had promised to his people. You know, they'd been in bondage and they'd been in slavery, but they knew that God had set out for them and he had established an actual physical place that would be theirs, a place where they would dwell, a place where they would be blessed, a place that was a land that was blessed directly by God. And he had called and set aside that place for them, and it was called the promised land. And so we get to read in Scripture through Exodus and through Numbers, through Leviticus. We get to read through portions of this Scripture, and it's about the Israelites going, following Moses, looking for this promised land. Well, if you know much about the story, you know that uh, they eventually cross over the Red Sea. God parts the waters of the Red Sea. They cross over the Red Sea, but they wander in the desert for 40 years. 40 years they walk around trying to find this place that God had set out for them. And for 40 years, they're following Moses. They're listening to him. God provides a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night for them to walk through. He provides manna from heaven. But for 40 years, which is no short stint for anything, they are navigating and wandering through this very small portion of the world, this very small desert looking for God's promised land. You can imagine just the mentality that they had. Oh, man. Another day, I guess I'm going to wake up and we're going to wander around a little bit more. You know, after 35 years of this, I don't expect anything else to change today, right? And so they do this, and they work, and they labor, and they toil, and they fight, and they walk, and they walk, and they walk, and they walk, and they walk. And they got their battles, and they got their health issues, and the fact of the matter that they have about 2 million people gathered together walking around at one time. I mean, this is no short, small task. This is a big deal. Well, in the midst of this, Moses, um, God calls Moses to, to speak to a rock and to call water out of that rock. And Moses, in his frustration, and you could imagine how frustrated you'd be walking around leading two million people, telling them, hey, just follow me for one more year. I know you've done it for 38 years. I know you've done it for 39 years. One more year. Come on, this is the year, guys. Moses, in his frustration, rather than speaking to the rock and calling water out of it, takes his staff and he strikes the rock out of anger. And water comes out of it, and 
supplies his people with water, but it was a disobedient act towards God. It was against what God had called him to do. And because of that and because of his position um, that God had called him into, his position of great importance of being a leader of God's people, God said to him, Moses, because you did that, I still love you, but you will not enter into the promised land. You will never, you will never experience it. So we come to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we get to a place where Moses climbs up to the top of a mountain and he looks out across the land and God directly speaks to him. God says to Moses, Moses, do you see that? And Moses is like, yeah. And God says to Moses, on the other side of that river, the Jordan River, is the land that I have called out for my people. It's the promised land. It's what you've been looking for for 40 years. But because of your disobedience, you will die here on this mountain but I will be faithful to my people. And I will not let them just continue wandering aimlessly, but I will allow Joshua, who you have anointed and you have blessed, to bring my people into this promised land. And so Moses, even though the Bible, the Bible recounts that Moses was actually healthy in his body and he wasn't even too old in his age, died on that mountain. But God had greater plans for his people. God called a young man named Joshua, son of Nun, who had been anointed by Moses to bring the Israelites into, out of the wandering, out of the desert, into God's promised land. And that's where we pick up this story in Joshua chapter one. It's about Joshua now taking the leadership role of God's chosen people, of the Israelites, and saying, you know what? We're gonna find this place. I know we're close. I know God's called us out to this. We're gonna find this place. And so in Joshua chapter one, two, and three, just very quickly, Joshua sends some spies into the land. And these spies, you guys have probably heard this, they go into the land, they kind of scope it out, they come back, and they say, that's it. That's the place. This is where God has called us to. This is the promised land. And so for three chapters, who knows how much time it is, uh, but for, for at least a, a short period of time, they start to prepare. They start to get ready. They start to listen to the, what the Lord is saying and how they're supposed to enter into this land and what that's supposed to look like. They get all the people ready. They bring them all the way to the water's edge of the Jordan River. And as they stand on one side of the river and they look out, they are still in the desert land. But as they look across the river, and it's no small river, it's a big river, it's at flood stage, so it's an even bigger river than, than normal. They look across and they recognize that as soon as we cross this river, that's the promised land. Could you imagine how they felt? Could you imagine after all the work, all the labor, all the walking around, all the fighting, all the bickering, all the arguing, all the anger, all the stuff, your leader dies on a mountain, now you're standing and you can see it. You can see what God has called out for you. Now they knew that ahead of them, there were going to be battles. There were going to be wars. There was going to be a lot more work that was needed to be done. But as they stood on the banks of that river, they recognized, I am almost there. I am almost there. I think that we can not necessarily relate on the same level as what the Israelites are experiencing, but I do think that we can recognize and understand and feel something that they felt. And I think that many of us are currently in a position where you maybe for 40 years of your life have been working hard. You've been laboring. You've been fighting. You know, part of the reality of the world that we live in is the fact that we are people who have to work. Part of the fall of man Part of the fact that sin came into this world, part of what happened in our world is the fact that we have to work. We have to fight. We have to labor. 
We have to deal with physical issues. We have to deal with mental issues. We have to deal with emotional issues. We have to, ba- we have to battle not just on a natural level. We have to not just work and fight for our freedom or for our finances or for our families or for our faith, but we also have to fight a battle that's on a supernatural level that we don't necessarily touch and feel here in the natural, but we experience it very much in our spiritual men and women selves. Now, because of this battle, we are people who are really good at working. We work a lot. In fact, we live in a very affluent area, in a very affluent state, in a very affluent nation. And because of that, we're people that, I have conversations constantly, I find people very much in the same boat that I am when I ask them how they're doing, what's going on in life, they're like, man, I'm busy, I'm working, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm trying to make it, make it happen, put things together, you know, make ends meet, I'm trying to fight these battles, I'm trying to get to the grind, you know, I'm waking up every morning putting on my suit and tie or putting on whatever you put on to go into the battle and you wake up and you step and you put your foot on the floor and you get into it and you put your head down and you just make it happen. And we are people that that's what we do. And you know what? There's a portion of reality that that's what has to happen. I mean, that's how life happens. That's how it works. That's how we move forward. That's how our life progresses and God's called us into those things. That's not bad. But there is a very big problem if all we do in our lives is put our head down and we work and we fight and we labor and we toil. And the problem is, is as we go into battle and as we fight, we end up getting to a place where we experience what's called battle fatigue. This is a a term that's used in the military. And it's a type of mental disorder characterized by anxiety, depression, and loss of motivation caused by the stresses of active warfare. Church, we may not be picking up our physical weapons and going into battle, but every morning when you put on whatever you put on and you go into life, you're facing the battles, the warfare of the life that you live. You're facing the warfare of trying to work it out. You're facing the warfare on a spiritual level. You're facing, you are in the midst of the stresses of active warfare, whether you want to be or not. You know, another place that I looked uh, for this definition, it said, combat stress reaction is an acute reaction that includes a range of behaviors resulting from the stress of battle, and this is interesting, that decrease the combatant's fighting efficiency. The most common symptoms are fatigue, slower reaction times, indecision, disconnection from one's surroundings, and the inability to prioritize. You see, when we are in the midst of battle, and when we're just constantly getting into the battle, getting, go, you know, every morning when we wake up, we just go into the battle, what happens is, is we end up getting battle fatigued. We end up getting so tired, so worn out, so depressed, so stressed, that we can't actually even fight efficiently and effectively, and the enemy loves it. So, well, then what's the other option? Because if that's what's in front of us, if that's what we are responsible to do, then what's the other option? Well, that's where Joshua chapter 4 comes in. And in Joshua chapter 4, we read about something that's such an amazing occurrence of God's faithfulness in his chosen people's lives. And that's where they stand on the bank of the river. And God says to the Israelites, he says, okay, I know that there's battles coming. You know that there's battles coming. It's not like you walk in and everything's peachy perfect. There's some things ahead that are not going to be easy. And so because of that, I want you to send out your warriors ahead of you. Send them across the Jordan River into the promised land, preparing for the battle that will ensue. And then what I want you to do is I want you to get all your people together. 
And specifically, I want to lead that charge with the priests, and I want those priests to pick up my Ark of the Covenant, and I want them to walk into the middle of that river. And what the Bible records for us historically is that the priests who are holding the Ark of the Covenant come to the river's edge, and they put their feet onto the water, and it says, as soon as their foot touched the water, the river's parted. You thought it only happened once, right? This is not the Red Sea parting. This is a different parting. The rivers parted, and it says that the rivers stood up and were held up like stalks of grain as the priests walked into the middle of the riverbed. And the priests holding the Ark of the Covenant stood there while God's chosen people, the Israelites, two million of them walked across the dry river onto the shores of the promised land and the other side. Now, as they... You can imagine that took a long time, right? It's two million people to walk anywhere that are so excited to get there. I mean, I've been in the lines, you know, at a movie theater where people are excited to get into the movies and it's like, you know, 100 people can barely, you know, they're trampling you. You know, it's like Black Friday times a billion. And so it's like these people are so excited and they're pushing and they're shoving and whatnot. And finally they get on the dry banks of the shore of God's promised land and they cheer and they celebrate what God had done. And God said to them, don't just don't just celebrate, like be happy and all that kind of stuff. I want you to do something. I want you to take one representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. The, tr- the 12 tribes are what make up these chosen people. And I want you to take one representative and I want you to get that representative. And I want you to have that person go to the middle of the dry river that's th- that where the priests are still standing there. And I want them to pick up a stone. I want them to pick up a rock as big as they can carry. I want them to put it on their shoulder. I want them to walk over to the side of the promised land. I want them to drop it on the banks of that river. And I want 12 of those people to do that. I want them to build this altar. And here's why. I want you to remember what I've done in your lives. I want you to remember that regardless of all the work and regardless of all the pain and regardless of all the difficulties, regardless of all the trials that you have had or will have in front of you, I want you to set these things on the bank so that you will never forget what I have done. And the Bible recounts, and it's in your notes, and I'm not going to read it for you. I want you to go home and read it. The Bible recounts that the person that's telling this story in the book of Joshua says those stones remained there to that day as a remembrance of what God had done for his people. Hundreds of years after this story had actually happened, if you were to walk to the banks of the river where the day crossed the Jordan, you could see those 12 stones and remember the faithfulness of God. See, church, it's important that we don't get so wrapped up in fighting the battles that we don't take time to celebrate in our lives. You know, as we enter into a new year, we traditionally set in motion some wonderful, sometimes lofty, ideas of New Year's resolutions, things that we're going to work on. I'm going to work on doing this and not doing that. I'm going to work on starting this habit and stopping that one. I'm going to work on being nice, whatever it may be. And I know, I know that it's all good. I think it's all set purposefully with the right heart and right intentions and right motives, and it's all good. In fact, my wife and I just set out uh, January 1st of 2014. We set out to completely change our diet, not just to lose weight, but to get healthy. You know, we wanted to get into a place to, of getting healthy. And it's been a lot of work to try to remain on the diet that we've started. But with the help of God, you can do it. With a lot of work and a, you know, a lot of oomph, you can get through it. And we get to celebrate January 1st of 2015 in just a few days, one full year of us doing it solidly, 100%. But it takes a lot of work. And you know, the reality is, is if you don't take time through the midst of the work to celebrate, you kind of forget why you're doing something. You forget like 
Where's the joy in this? Why did I start doing that? Be nice. How am I supposed to be nice? Everybody else in the world stinks. You know what I mean? You really, you lose sight of it. And it's very important that we understand that what the Israelites did is something that we need to do in our lives, and that is to plant markers in our lives of celebration, take time to spend in celebrating God's faithfulness in our lives. Now, church, I'm not very good at this. I I personally am just not good at this. I actually really enjoy working. My wife and I just recently had a conversation. We love to work, and there's some great benefits that come from that. You get to see a lot of stuff happen in your life. But the reality is, is I felt very much a burden that God put on my heart and that he has put on us corporately as campus pastors as we teach across all of our campuses. It's not okay just to work. You have to take time to celebrate. And there's three specific reasons that I think that we need to take time to celebrate. Three reasons why it's important to celebrate. You're not going to find these in your notes because I wrote these after your notes, which were printed before Christmas because we took some time to celebrate with our families. But the first thing, and you might want to write this down, the first reason I think that it's important to celebrate is to proclaim and honor the faithfulness of God. And the interesting thing is, is it's not just the faithfulness, not just proclaiming and honoring the faithfulness of God to our lives, but we do it not just for us, but for generations to come. After the Israelites crossed the river and they set up these 12 stones on the riverbank, and they walked off and they did their own deal and they started, you know, navigating down the path of their lives. We come to a place in Joshua chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, and it says, Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You see, they not only made that altar for their own remembrance, they made that altar as a remembrance for the generations to come so that when their kids asked them, how do you know God is faithful? How do you know God is good? How do you know God is at work? And you say, look, you see this pile of stones? Let me tell you a story. And that story was passed on from generation to generation to generation. It wasn't just affecting them or their family. It was affecting the world around them, saying, look at the faithfulness of God. But if they had not taken the time to actually establish and set those stones in that ground, church, what they probably would have been doomed to do is what many of us do, and that is walk through our life so speedily, forgetting about everything that has happened, forgetting about the faithfulness of God in our lives, putting our heads down for the next day, not realizing that behind us are so many blessings from God. And unless we take time to stand, to honor them appropriately, the way that God deserves that honor, then we are doomed to forget them. And that is not how God has called us to live our lives. The second thing that I think and the second reason that I think it's important to celebrate is so that we can fully participate as part of God's story and plan. God wants you to be part of his story. He doesn't just want you to be a sideline participant, a sideline fan, somebody who comes to church and claps for him and what he's doing in this world on a weekend, but then goes into your life thinking you are completely separate from what he's doing in this world. 
God wants to be part of it. God wants you to be part of his team. Pastor John talked about the Broncos, and he used that in the idea of team. It's funny, I didn't actually see that when I wrote this, but I also thought about talking about the Broncos. But it's in this capacity. I am a, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, and everybody cheers. That's right. We did just win the NFC East, so. But I've experienced some of the ups and downs in football just the way that Denver fans have. And in fact, living in Denver now for almost the last 10 years, I've become a bit of a Denver Broncos fan. Now they're second place for sure, but rightfully so. But I'm sorry. Uh, email on that one, right? Um, but I'm, I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I like the Broncos. And last year in 2013, we got to experience some great victories. In fact, I remember sitting watching the AFC championship game and cheering on the Broncos. And at the end of the game, as a fan, and even watching the fans in the stadiums, cheering the Broncos on and celebrating the victory that we had accomplished. The Denver Broncos, everybody becomes, a, everybody becomes a, a fan or a team member at that point, right? And so we celebrate and we feel really good, and then we get to the Super Bowl. And some of you I may need to re recall to your memory, you might have blacked out or pushed this out, but we lost after one play. The first play. And I saw a bunch of people that were so cheerful and so happy about their team kind of just deny almost their existence, like Peter denied Jesus. <laughs> I don't know these people. I'm a Cowboys fan. Come on. But I realized that there's a huge difference between being a fan of something and being a team member. And God is calling us to be team members, not to be people who cheer on the sidelines when good things happen, but kind of distance ourselves when there's difficulty. You see, every Denver Bronco had a great celebration when they won that AFC championship. In fact, I bet you a million dollars they celebrated harder than you ever did, harder than you could ever imagine, because they put a whole lot more into winning that championship than you did on your couch with your remote or even the hundreds of dollars that you spent to sit in the stands and watch them do it. They've given their lives to this. And so when they lost that game, they lost as a team. And they felt the pain and the heartache, and they couldn't just distance themselves from it. And God is calling us to be part of his team very much in the same way, saying, hey, I don't want you to sit on the sidelines and participate. I want you to be an integral part of what I am doing in this world. And you will experience pain. You will experience difficulties, you will experience heartache, you will experience some trials, but you will also experience great triumph, and you will also experience great victory. And unless you're part of this team, you will not be able to experience and celebrate fully the way that I want you to. Because if you're a fan, you're sitting on the sidelines, you may clap and you may cheer, but I'll tell you what, the people that are part of my team, they are partying it up whenever we win. And that is what God is calling us to do. And he wants to celebrate, not just as a fan, but as a team member. And the third thing that I think that it's important, and the third reason that I think it's important to celebrate, is because it encourages us for the future. It encourages us for the future, because if we always see as bleak darkness, difficulties, trials, all the things of this world that beat us down, all the difficulties that we face, if that's all we think about, all we feel, all we work in, all we live in, all we wake up to, then when we walk into the next day, when we walk into the next year, when we walk into the next decade, 
all we see is darkness. All we see is a bleak situation with an outcome of who knows what's going to happen. What's the next thing that's going to happen? God is calling us to celebrate so that when we set these markers down, when we walk into the future and it feels difficult and it feels dark, we can look back and say, God is faithful. I may not feel it right now. I may not experience it right now. But God is faithful and he will continue to prove to be faithful in my life. And here's how I know. It will help you for the future. So church, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come towards the end of this message and we're going to take some time to celebrate. Like I said, I'm not that great at celebrating, but I need to get better. And we as a church, we need to get better at celebrating. And God has done some wonderful things in our midst and it's time for us to honor and to celebrate what he has done in our church. It is time to honor and to celebrate God and his faithfulness in our lives. And so to do that, we're going to share 12 specific things that we felt and that we believe that are worthy of celebration in our church. And the first one is this, it's giving. We celebrate the fact that we are not just crawling and scraping to the finish line in 2014 as a church, but you, because of your generosity and the impact that you have allowed God to use in you, we see the world around us changing. We have given over $41,000 to Israel just this year. Absolutely, you can clap. To God's nation, we've given his chosen people. Whether how, it doesn't matter how you feel about that or not, we are a church that stands with these people and say they are worthy of sowing seed into. And we've given $41,000. You've given $41,000. You've given $424,000 in missions, finances across this world to impact this world with the love of Christ. And that does not include our special offerings. You've given to our Believe campaign last year, and we are still in the process of working that, and we're still in the process of moving that forward and trying to complete those projects. But it is because of your faithfulness that we get to celebrate the fact that giving is alive and active. The kingdom of God runs on finances, and we are the people that bear the responsibility to be generous in that, and you are generous. And we say thank you, and we celebrate God's faithfulness in our lives. We celebrate. The next one, yeah. Easter, 300 salvation packets. How many people went to Easter? Easter this last year. How many people went to Easter this last year? Come up here real quick. I want you to come grab one of these stones. I want you to help me build this. Strap it right here. At Easter, we handed out over 300 salvation packets across all of our campuses. We had 14 services reaching 5,000 people. And it's not just about the number of people. It's about the fact that they got the love of Jesus shared with them just right there. Boom. Perfect. Yeah, give them a hand. That's it. Thank you. 5,000 people got to hear the message of Jesus. A seed was planted in their hearts. How about discipleship? Over 50 obey and selfie groups were started as kind of a, I don't know, I say a test for what God wants to do in the future of discipleship. Hundreds of people showed up to these groups expressing their hunger to get into community and to be discipled the way that God has called us to disciple. And it is a celebration of the fact that people are catching on to the fact that church is more than just what happens on a weekend, but that it's the actual ability to connect with other people on a daily basis and what God's doing in our lives. Life Day. How many people went to Life Day? Life Day. Stephanie, come up here. Grab one of these rocks. Life Day for some of us felt like Death Day for a little while while we ran walk the 5K. I'm thankful to let you guys know that all 525 people that ran Walk the 5K survived. <laughs> but even better than just that is the fact that this was an opportunity where four of our campuses were able to come and to truly do what we're doing right now, and that is celebrate the love and the life of Jesus in all of our campuses. First time that we've ever had one service with all of our people. 
We took over Shea Stadium. We did an incredible job celebrating what God was doing. $15,000 were raised for missions. And the best part of it all, <coughs> excuse me, is the fact that 140 people were baptized in that day. 140 people. <laughs> missions. Missions is a large portion of what we do as a church. It's worthy of being celebrated. But the fact of the matter is, is missions is the way that we live outside of ourselves. And we have had an opportunity to impact 54 different countries just this year with our missions. 54 different nations. Eight short-term trips that we took here from JFC with 145 of you guys participating in those trips. And there are more that are happening in 2015. And $20,000, this is a really cool thing, and this is worthy of celebrating. If you guys remember when Paul Childers came and taught, he's uh, one of our missionaries, a regular missionary that we support. He came and taught, and he talked about these churches in Nigeria that you could start a church for like $5,000 or whatever it was. And so after that, without us ever taking up an offering, people gave $20,000 to start four churches in Nigeria. And those churches right now are living and thriving because of the faithfulness of God's people catching on to the fact that missions is a worthy thing to hold up. And we celebrate the fact that God is alive and moving in those things. <laughs> Outreach. Outreach. Raise your hand if you took part in any of our holiday outreaches or if you gave Angel Tree or Operation Christmas Child gifts. How many of you guys were involved in any of that? How many of you guys were involved? You want to help me? Come on up. Grab one of these stones real quick. Help me build this. Four outreaches. Uh, we gave $50,000. If you guys remember, there was a big flood in Estes Park last year. And we gave 50000 You guys gave $50,000 to that. Just drop it right there. On, yeah, perfect. Thank you. $50,000 were given to flood relief. We are currently still in process of helping people build this house. Um, there have been some permitting issues that we've been working through, but in t early 2015, the house is scheduled to be completed. And it's because of you recognizing we can plant seeds of life in people when they have gone through the greatest difficulties that we can make an impact. Uh, sorry, 1,500 gifts were given in our Operation Christmas Child and Angel Tree outreaches. We had multiple holiday outreaches where we had so many people sign up from this congregation that we actually have so many leftover that haven't been able to participate, so we're going to, in January, in February, in March, do some more outreaches. And then we had two church startups. You guys probably don't know this, but we have um, sowed over $40,000 of money into two church plants that we'll be starting up in 2015. We have sent key people, and we have sent money, believing that God wants to move in this land, and it's not about a church. It's not about JFC. It's about what He wants to do in our land, and so we believe in that so much that Pastor John specifically has sowed seed into helping two Denver church startups here in our area so that the life of God can spread out. <laughs> membership. Membership, you may not think about it this way, but we do as a church that membership is really the saying, uh, hey, this is my church. This is where I want to grow. This is where I want to thrive. This is where I want to plant roots, and I want to be able to use my gifts and my talents to move forward the message and the life and the love of Jesus. And over 130 people this year became new members. That's the most that we've ever had in one year. And we are not a membership-driven church, but we celebrate the fact that people are catching on to the vision and the mission of what God is doing through the body of Christ here. Men's and ladies' events. How many of you guys attended men's and ladies' events this year? Anybody? Come on up here real quick. Grab one of these build this pile. At our men's and women's conferences, specifically, we had 380 different men and women attend these conferences. Now, I did not go to the women's conference, rightfully so. You guys didn't want me there. However, I did go to the men's, and I know the life of God was there. And the life of God is still flowing in our men's and women's ministries out of what he was doing specifically in those events. How about the next generation? 
Next generation is important because of the people that are going to be rising up, taking over our church one day. And I don't mean JFC, I mean the church, the body of Christ. They will be leading us into the next wave of what God wants to do in our lives. And in the next generation, we had over 377 kids and youth attend our camps and our events across, our, specifically our camps and our retreats, where the best thing is not that 377 kids came. The best thing is that 73 of those rededicated their lives to the Lord and 26 people, 26 youth gave their life to Christ for the first time ever. <laughs> Christmas Eve services. How many guys just recently attended our Christmas Eve services? Come up here real quick. Grab one of these rocks with me. Christmas Eve, fresh off, hot off the presses, 3,600 people attended one of our four services. We had three at the Marriott, thank you. We had three at the Marriott. We had one at 11 p.m. here at the Lone Tree Campus. Blew the doors off this place. If you guys were here, it was crazy. Took forever to do communion, but it was just a celebration event for us to be able to really just see the life of God. But the greatest thing is not that 3,600 people came. Just like, very much like Easter, it's the fact that 3,600 people got a seed planted in their heart of the life of God. Pastor John did not hold back what God had spoken to him about the clarity and the vision that comes through Jesus. And because of that, we had salvations and rededications galore. We had a stack of cards of people that said, I have either rededicated my life or accepted Christ for the first time that was like 300 high. And God is moving and it's worthy of celebrating and setting the stone of remembrance for that. The last two, volunteerism at Lone Tree. It takes over 115 weekly volunteers in service to do what God wants to do in our church, the ministry of Christ, to happen on a weekly basis. And you may not recognize it. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people to see ministry happen. This church would not exist if it weren't for volunteers. And we want to thank every volunteer that helps in any capacity in this church. And we want to celebrate the fact that people have caught on to the idea that church is not about people that get paid as pastors to do what they do, but church is about the body of Christ coming together and celebrating Jesus. There are over 300 volunteers total just from our campus, just from our campus. And I think that's worthy of celebrating. And the last one is the life of God. This is a bit of an intangible, but it is true that it exists, and it's true that it exists in what we do. The life of God is here, and it is thriving, and it is active, and it is living in our worship. God is delivering people. You'd be amazed if you heard what God is doing in people's lives. We can't always share that, but he is delivering, he is healing people, and he is alive. God is worthy of being celebrated. And church, here's the deal. Absolutely. If we did not take time to celebrate this, here's what would happen. We would walk away from 2014 into 2015 and we would get so busy, we would forget all of this. There may be a, uh, just an inkling of remembrance in our imaginations, but we would not have the hard understanding of what God had done in our lives. And he has called us to be people who celebrate. And so church, here's what we're gonna do. We thought, you know what? It's important for us to celebrate corporately what God has done, but it's also important for us to celebrate individually what God has done. Because you're a team member. Just like you helped me build this right here, we did it as a team. I didn't do this. Pastor John didn't do this. God did this, but we all participated in it. But you also have a story. And you also have markers in your life, I believe, where God has proven faithful to you in 2014. And it's time for us to remember and to celebrate that. So we're going to enter into a time of worship. We're going to engage God. Up at the front of our stage, and then back by the crosses, we have these little stones. And what we want to do is, as we enter into this time of worship, 
We want to challenge each and every one of you to recall and to remember at least one thing that God proved faithful in your life with. One thing that's worthy of being celebrated. One thing, just one, that God has shown how good he is in your life. That doesn't mean that there's not a million other things that you can write on this stone of difficulties and trials and whatnot because they exist, but God is also faithful. And unless you put this marker in the ground, unless you take time to remember this, we will all be doomed to forget. May we never forget God's faithfulness in our lives. May we be able to mark down what God has done in our lives through all the trials, through all the difficulties, through all of the, the stuff that we just get thrown May we be able to recall and remember forever for generations to come, for the people that are around us. May they be able to see the joy in the life of God, not from the trials and the difficulties, but from the triumphs and the victories that we get to celebrate because of his faithfulness in our lives. So we want you to, during this worship time, come up and grab a rock. We want their Sharpies up here as well and in the back. We want you to write down just one victory, one thing worthy of celebrating. And as you do that, may that be something that as you hold on to it, Put it in your pocket, put it in your purse, take it home with you because we want this to be something that you place somewhere in a prominent location, hopefully to remember and to remind you that when you walk into the battles that will ensue, just like the Israelites, that they can look back and they say, God is faithful. Because God is faithful, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because God is faithful, I don't worry about the, the, the next situation. I don't worry about, you know, the things that are gonna happen. They're gonna happen. But God is faithful and he is worthy of being celebrated. So church, why don't you stand to your feet for me? Let's enter into a time of worship and celebration to our God, to our Savior, to our King, to our Lord, who is ever so faithful to bless us as his children. Let's worship together. I encourage you to get out of your seats, to go up to these stones and to write down something that's meaningful and to take these home with you after we are done with our services to celebrate the faithfulness and the blessing of our Lord. Church, let's engage him in worship.